0: Thanks, Jimmy. Morning, everyone. We are in the, uh, the last of a sermon series entitled Now to Him, which has uh, been about worship <clears throat> and uh, what it means to, to live lives of worship as well as uh, singing the songs of worship. And uh, this morning is the last in that series uh, from the last two verses of Jude. Jude, a, a book written by Jude, the brother of Jesus. Uh, brother of James, who wrote the other book uh, in the New Testament that we'll be looking at, that Julie mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, looking at ne- this next term. And uh, Jude contains within it uh, advice to the, ch- the early church, particularly as they combated and fought against uh, teaching that was taking the church in the wrong direction. Jude wrote to them and said, look, here's, here's the focus for what you need to be thinking about And right at the end of this book that he wrote, a very short book, we have what's called, uh, what we now understand as a doxology, which uh, means that the first thing that I want to say this morning is about doing a doxa. Uh, Doxology comes from the Greek word doxa, which just literally means bringing glory to the Lord, bringing him glory. And uh, you'll find that doxologies come a few times in the New Testament right at the end of a book. When uh, Paul or Peter ends with that sense of worship, we want to give the Lord glory. So the last two verses of Jude, uh, which is on page 1232 in my Bible, if you want to uh, find it in your own, it's roughly around the same place, just before uh, Revelation. And so we've got uh, two verses and four amazing truths in Jude, verses 24 and 25. It's one of only three New Testament books that ends with worship. Having taught what he's taught, he then finishes with this doxology, now to him who's able to keep you from falling. And he begins to unpack in these two two verses what it means to be a person who worships. So, this morning... Uh, Worship, then, is a fitting conclusion. Worship is our central direction. And often in our lives, our Christian lives, we begin with worship. And we head off in a direction following the Lord, worshipfully. And yet it's very easy for our worship to tail away. We were learning recently at a conference that much of our evangelism is often focused towards student-type evangelism, which basically says, here's the good news of Jesus, here's an argument for him, now make a decision to follow him. It becomes very uh, linear. Here's the evidence, believe in him, and now follow him. And many of us Came to faith. I became a Christian when I was 19, and that kind of worked for me then. That sense of here's the evidence, believe in Jesus, and now follow him. What I've observed about myself is that that as you get through uh, the phases of life, you very quickly realize, beyond, you know, when you get beyond being a student and those early flushes of youth, some of us are a bit further beyond that than others. But as we get to that phase, you realise that actually life sometimes kicks you in the teeth. And stuff that you thought was going to happen, didn't happen. Or the things that you thought were going to work out in a particular way, didn't work out as you'd hoped. And one of the knock-on effects on that for us as Christians, is that that sometimes affects our worship. The difficulties that we come across often, when they kick us in the teeth, stop us from worshipping we kind of give up he said it didn't work out like we'd hoped and so when Jude said uh, came right at the end of this letter uh, a, a reminder to worship I think there's something corrective about that for our lives where we say do you know there is stuff that's happened in my life that I would not have chosen and I have a a choice with that to either allow it to stop me to worship or to use it as a springboard to say Lord I don't understand totally but I am committed to giving my life in worship to you even though sometimes I will not understand I will worship the Lord anyway and so worship is a fitting conclusion to a book it's also a fitting conclusion middle section to our lives and a fitting conclusion to our lives. I've said to various folks, you know, when it comes to that moment when I, when I finally die, I would love to die in a time of worship, actually. I mean, hopefully you're not going to be present, because that would be a bit distressing for you, I think, but um, it would be, I mean, I'd be fine, but um, a bit distressing for everyone else, but I really, you know, part of me thinks that would be a great moment to go actually, a fitting conclusion of a life lived following the Lord to go at a time when worship is uh, uppermost in one's mind and thoughts and actions. So worship is a fitting conclusion. Secondly, worship is our central focus. Basically, Jude's letter says after all of this teaching, after all of this, now to him who is able to keep us from falling. Worship is our central focus. And it's, it's, it's the now bit that doesn't get translated in the NIV. But the now to him. After all of this teaching that Jude gives, he then says now to him. I think with worship, God's teaching to us is always now. It's always now to him. Whatever we're going through, when there's great happiness, now to him who's able to keep us. When we're going through great pain and difficulty or sadness and loss, now to him who's able to keep us. When we're going through moments of uh, you know, e- exhilaration and excitement, now to him. When the church is going through moments of uh, pain or difficulty, now to him. When we're full of enthusiasm because of the amount of money that's been raised for the heart of the community project, now to him. When we're full of trepidation because we fear that the rest of the money might not come in, now to him. Now to him. Worship as a central focus is always right now. And then thirdly, it's worth saying that it's always for him. I don't know how many times you've left a church building or a worship experience or a celebration, and you've said to yourself um, or to other people, How is the worship? Or we've left and we've gone, You know, I didn't know those hymns, or I, I didn't know that second one, or, or even, Wasn't the worship dreadful this morning? We may well have left church with that kind of phrase on our lips. I didn't think much of the worship. And maybe the Lord might say back to us, I did. Because often worship is about our preferences. And actually, I think as I've gone on in my Christian life, I've learned to think about worship in whatever context I happen to be in. Whether it's singing the ancient hymns written by a generation previous, or whether it's the modern songs that people will sing now, or whether it's silent meditation, or whether it's reading scripture, or whether it's a taze service that many were blessed by the other Friday here in church. I think we have a responsibility, actually, in, as we mature in faith, to worship whatever. To worship whatever. If you were stuck on a desert island with nothing, I'm praying that you wouldn't be, but if you were, would it stop you worshipping one would hope not that you'd want to still call out to God to pray to give thanks to pray for your situation uh, particularly God calls us to worship him it's for Jesus and that's why our worship is always uh, Jesus centred because it's him we worship we are Christians so we worship Christ with everything that we've got. It's for him. And it's for him because he's incomparable. There's nobody that can, can compare. Revelations 4 says this. It says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they, you, they were created and have their being. He's incomparable. His titles are his by right Revelations 1 says he was and is and is to come. He's uh, amazing. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. He is incomparable. Secondly, he's personal. Verse 25 in Jude uh, 7. Says this to the only God, the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. To the only God through Jesus Christ our Lord. To worship is always through worship, it's through Jesus. He is the only God. Whatever others may say about what God is like or who He is, according to the Gospels, the only God is. Jesus and through him there's majesty, power and authority. He's personal. Twice in these few verses Jude writes, He's ours. He's ours, our Saviour, our God, our Lord. He's ours. And this morning it's it's worth saying again that the, the response to Jesus is always an our response. It's never primarily, actually, an us response. I mean, the us comes, but the us comes because we first make the our response. He's my saviour. And because he's my saviour, I get to join in with the rest of you who've all made a similar plea. He's mine as well. And together we stand side by side and we worship because he's ours. But he's ours because he's first mine and he's first yours. If you've never got to the stage in your life when you've said, yes, he's, he's mine, he's my saviour in here, then today would be a great day to do that. If you've met, never made that plea for yourself, say, Lord, come and fill me up with your life so that you can be mine. When he's ours, he's first, uh, he then becomes uh, ours together when he's mine personally. So he's personal, and today would be a great day to make that response. Somebody said to me this week, just because you sit on the forecourt of Quick Fit doesn't make you a car. And I think the same is true when thinking about church. Just because we sit in a pew in a church doesn't make us Christians. You make a choice and say, Lord, come into my life, and then we become Christians. To sit in church doesn't make you something. We have to make a choice that Jesus is ours. And then worship is Jesus-centered. He's our Lord. We've said a bit about that already. In our worship in this week, I would say, keep your worship Jesus-focused. Particularly in this week, as we look towards Easter, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. The perfect opportunity, isn't it, as we gather together to keep our worship focused. Jesus-focused. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done on the cross. Thank you for all that you've done as you rose again. Thank you for the promises that we receive as a result of that. Great opportunities to keep our worship Jesus-focused. And then lastly, uh, it's also recognizing that we worship the Eternal One. He is before all ages. He's now and he is forevermore. Worship is an eternal event. When we join together today and we sing these hymns and we express these truths about who God is, we join an eternal event. We join with the angels gathered around the throne of heaven who worship for eternity. When we are worshipping here, we are touching something of the eternal when we worship together. It may not always feel like that, but that's what's happening when we worship together. We touch the eternal. It touches something of prehistory, before the world was created, and it touches the end times as well when everything will be wrapped up and we gather around his throne. So two verses and four amazing truths. He's incomparable. He's personal. That we worship this personal Jesus And that we respond to him. And lastly, he's eternal. It's now and it's forevermore. Worship is going to be the thing that endures throughout eternity. All our evangelism, all our church meetings, praise the Lord. All of those will stop. Everything will stop. Except worship, which will go on uh, for eternity. Us knowing and loving the Lord. So why don't we pray together. So, Lord, we pray that our response today would be yes to you. Thank you that you long to be our personal friend, saviour and Lord. And some of us now in this moment are saying, yes, Lord, we want that for ourselves, to know you as ours. So, Lord Jesus, come, make yourself real again for us and to us and help us to give ourselves to you in return so that others might know you too in Jesus name Amen